So, Genesis 26. This whole, the whole chapter is one big, I, I really need to do the whole chapter at one time. But it's just, I'm not going to be able to. So we'll just go through maybe the first 20 verses or so and then continue next week in the rest of chapter 26. But just know that it is one, it's probably not the best place to divide it, but it is just one big story. And really the whole thing, you know, last time we talked about uh, Abraham's uh, death and we talked about Jacob and Esau and how they, uh, uh, Esau sold his birthright. Y'all remember that? Y'all with me? Okay. Well, today is, uh, as we move into chapter 26, what, what we're going to see is really what that birthright looked like. The birthright that he gave up, uh, we're going to see in Isaac's life. Um, we're going to see, uh, I guess if I was going to title it or just give you a kind of summary of what we're going to be talking about, it's going to be God's presence, God's presence with Isaac. Uh, that's the birthright that Esau gave up. That is the uh, the blessing, uh, the promise, God's presence with him. He is going to, um, he's going to, there's things in this chapter that are going to really resemble Abraham's life. Uh, and so really what you're going to see is that the promise has now moved to Isaac. Uh, the blessing of God's presence is with Isaac and he is now, he is now God's chosen man the the chosen line of of the seed um in verse one i'm going to go through these kind of quick so if you have a question or if you want to make a comment just stop me and we'll talk about it okay verse one says there was a famine in the land beside the famine that was in the days of abraham and isaac went unto abimelech king of the philistines unto gerar now what's uh, familiar about that that's the same thing that abraham uh, did then in it this is a famine we saw way back when abraham faced with a famine where did abraham go he went to Egypt, right. Gerar is on the way to Egypt. So it looks like Isaac is uh, is moving toward Egypt. He's going to the same same place that Abraham went to. Uh, he This is not the same famine, because it tells us specifically in the first verse that it's not the same famine that was in the days of Abraham. But he is doing what his father had done. He's going toward Egypt. Um, God is going to stop him from going to Egypt. But he is going down through the the territory of the Philistines. Uh, in the Gerar is the city, uh, one of the cities of the Philistines, and Abimelech is the king of the Philistines. Now, remember what we said about the name Abimelech. It's probably not the same Abimelech that. Abraham had his dealings with Abimelech is a title like Pharaoh is a Pharaoh this Pharaoh that Pharaoh whatever Abimelech just means my father is king and it's probably a title of the Philistine kings so 80 years before Abraham basically did the same thing uh, this is probably not the same it's not out of the question but it's probably not the same Abimelech uh, God is going to stop him in verse 2 in the beginning of uh, verse 2 and 3 it says and the Lord appeared unto him and said Said, go not down into Egypt. So that's where that's where Isaac was going. He was headed to Egypt. The Lord appeared to him and says, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land where he was at. And here's the promise. I will be with thee. I will be with thee and will bless thee. And then he is going to pretty much reiterate the promise 
that he had given Abraham. Remember, it says, I will give all these countries. It's the same word for land. These lands, plural, not singular. I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham thy father, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. Same promise he gave to Abraham. Give, the, give unto thy seed all these lands, all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. The same promise he gave to Abraham, he now transfers to Isaac. Okay, you see that? So what we're watching here, when you read these passages, when you read Genesis and uh, some of the Old Testament passages, easy to get lost, easy to get, you know, sidetracked or whatever. When you read these passages, what we're, the theme that we're tracing, the overall theme of the Bible itself is the promise of God. And what we're doing is we're tracing that promise. We've seen it. You know, Shem and Noah and Abraham, now Isaac. We've uh, already talked about the uh, Esau giving up the birthright. We talked about that mean giving giving up the promise, giving up the blessing. Uh, and so we uh, we saw this. And so Isaac is uh, Isaac is now the recipient of this promise. And God shows us that explicitly by reiterating the same promise that he gave to Abraham. It's almost in the same language. I mean, they'll multiply your seed, the stars of the sky, give you the land. And he says, through you, through thy seed, now to Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what's, what's significant about that? All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How are all the nations of the earth blessed through Isaac and his seed. Huh? Through Christ. That's what Paul says. Remember in Galatians chapter 3, he says the gospel was preached before to Abraham saying in the all nations shall be blessed. So when, when you see that phrase and in thy seed all nations shall be blessed, your mind should immediately track. He's talking about Jesus right there because that's what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3. That's the fulfillment of this promise is, is Christ. Are you all with me? All right. Now, so I don't bore you to death, we're going to talk about this next verse. In verse 5, he gives, he's given all these promises, right? He says, and I'll make your seed multiply stars of heaven. I'll give you these countries and all the nations shall be earth. Because the reason why I'm giving you this promise, I'm commending this oath to you, is because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, was Abraham perfectly obedient to God? No. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Um, now, it, it may harken back to when he said, um, because you have obeyed me after he went to sacrifice Isaac. But there were many times. I mean, we look from <laughs> chapter 12 all the way to chapter 23 in Abraham's life, or 24 in, chapter, in Abraham's life. Abraham was disobedient a lot. How could God say that Abraham obeyed my statutes, obeyed my commands, followed my laws, whatever he says there, oh, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws? How could God say that Abraham did that when we saw time and time again Abraham fail, he lied two or three times, he, he disbelieved two or three times, he took the extra wife that is, I mean, you just go on and on and on and on about the things that Abraham did. Uh, he was faithful in a lot of ways, and but he was unfaithful in a lot of ways. How could God say that he was obedient and that's the reason why he is keeping his promise to Isaac? Because God can't 
Absolutely. He counted his, he counted his faith as righteousness. Um, and he looks at, he looking, he's looking at the overall life of Abraham. Uh, I don't know about you, but that gives me a little... It gives you hope, gives you comfort, knowing that... Um, I mean, you don't want to stretch it out there too far and say, well, God looks over this sin or that sin or whatever. But God looks at, God looks at the faith of Abraham and sees that faith in action, working, and counts him as righteous. God's, it's his faith that's counted as righteous, but righteousness, but that faith leads him to obey. It leads him to keep God's commandments. And you see those same examples in the New Testament where uh, Paul talks about the faith of Abraham being counted as righteousness. And then James talking about that same faith that counts Abraham as righteousness is one that works, is one that works out in, in his life. Um, that faith is, uh, it's amazing to me. It's it's, it's almost like, if you want to make it an equation, this is what I'm saying. God gave Abraham grace for no reason. Abraham didn't deserve it. God came to him out of nowhere for no other reason. God's good pleasure and says, I choose you. Come out of this land. I'm going to take you to a new land and I'm going to, you know, all those things. Um, God gave Abraham grace. And because of the grace bestowed upon Abraham, Abraham's heart was changed to obey and then God blessed Abraham for obeying. You see how that works? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's uh, I don't know if that hits you the same way it hits me. But when we say it, it's all of God, everything that we do good is of God. All our salvation is of God. I mean, that's amazing to me that God gives me grace, places within me um, this new part that desires him and with that new heart that he gave me it's not of me there's nothing good of me in my flesh uh, Romans chapter 7 when that new heart starts acting on its own desires to follow God and then he blesses me for my obedience I mean is that not amazing to you I mean it's it's just amazing to me that he he can say to Isaac here that Abraham uh, you know I'm going to bless you because Abraham obeyed when it was God who gave Abraham the heart to obey and it was God who gave Abraham the grace to obey and so it, we we say the two things I'm kind of rambling. Feel free to say something. I don't mean to just lecture you the whole time. It, first, it keeps you humble to understand that you're not good and your goodness is not doing anything. I mean, Abraham had nothing good about him and you have nothing good about you. I have nothing good about me. Everything that you have in your obedience or your following after Christ or your life is, is due to God's grace in your life. You ever heard the saying there, but by the grace of God go I? Yeah, that's, that's more true than we really, really realize. Amen. But also, on the other side, you need to also recognize that God does bless obedience. God does bless faithfulness. God does bless, uh, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. So, uh, two things. The first is that that truth really keeps you humble, knowing that it's God who, who wills in you to, to do and to will according to his good pleasure. But the other thing is that we are, uh, we are blessed when we... When we follow after Christ, man, y'all are quiet. Are you? Are y'all okay? Is it early? Everything good? Y'all with me? Any thoughts or? Well, it's kind of like you 
it several, several times in the Bible. I mean, it's just like David, you know, David was considered after God's own heart, but yet look at all the things that he did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the things I like about that. I mean, it's one of the things I like about Scripture is that it doesn't gloss over the failings of these great men of God, you know. I mean, they were all, there's none of them that's going to be portrayed as perfect or never doing anything wrong or what. They're all, I mean, Isaac is going to do something stupid before we get to the next section in this chapter. Uh, but yet... He, the way you follow the, the steps of Abraham and the mistakes and the lies that he tells. Yeah. You almost wonder, did he know that Abraham had did that to I think he did. I think he had to have. Because he knew. I mean, he. They, well, that and he, he knew his brother Ishmael. I mean, he had to have heard the story of where Ishmael came from. Abraham had told those people that Sarah was his sister. I think he did because that was the reason why Hagar was there. Remember, she was the Egyptian. That's where Abraham got her was when he was down in Egypt. And so uh, I, I think he I think that he did. I mean, I can't prove that and I can't disprove nothing. else. I think that he did know. And it's amazing to me because we see this up until verse five right here. Abraham, he says, I'm, I'm giving you this promise and I'm blessing you because Abraham, Abraham was faithful. And we, we look at this Abraham's faithfulness and his obedience. But then again, his failures and his mistakes and his his sins. And you weigh those against each other. But God still says he was faithful. And then in the very next verse, you have verse six, Isaac obeyed. God. What did God tell him to do? Don't go to Egypt. Stay right where you're at. I want you to sojourn in the land that you are in right now, which by worldly standards is really not a good idea. I mean, remember there's a famine and you want me to settle where there's a famine in hostile territory uh, with people that already don't like me. I'm not a Philistine. And, you know, it's probably not the best idea from the world from a worldly standpoint point. But yet Isaac obeys. He said, it says, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. It doesn't give any commentary about what he thought or whatever. It just says he obeyed. But then in the next verse, he sins. It says, and the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say she is my wife, lest said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she was fair to look upon. My wife's hot, so let me say she's my sister. <laughs> so, you got, you got Isaac... Well, what's kind of interesting with this situation that just kind of like hit me is that, and no offense, but the guys... No offense to me? Guys in general. Oh, I was going to say, will you? <laughs> I'll take care of her. Okay, thank you. Uh, the guys in general, they were really, really scared for their own life, so they would tell lies to protect themselves and throw their wives out there. Yeah. Under the bus. Under the bus. <laughs> Glad that don't happen anymore. <laughs> but you see, I mean, and that's exactly right. Isaac was worried about himself. And now why would he get in trouble if his wife was good looking? What he's saying is not getting in trouble. That they'd kill him, and they take her. See what I mean? If he's a brother, they'd pay him. You know what I mean? Because like, dad's not around. Here's the dowry. I'm taking her for my wife. You know, but as the husband, 
they they'd kill him and they'd take her. And so he he said, you know, tell them you're my, tell them you're my. This is my sister. Um, but he, he, saw, or he knew the stories of Abraham doing this. And like, I think so. It always worked out for Dad to let me try, not knowing that God had to intervene and fix the mistake. Well, I, I think he knew that God intervened. I mean, I think he knew that it was sinful. Oh yeah, because look how many times we—I I love the word, brother—we use our grace card. We know somebody did that, and we're like, well, you know. Kind of went back by the skin of their teeth. Right, and I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of add I'm I, admittedly I'm kind of adding a little of my own presuppositions in here. So, you know, we can we can talk about whether that's true or not. But I do think that he uh, he knew he he knew he knew what had I think Abimelech knew uh, because Abimelech's going to be the other Abimelech's son. He probably knew about Abraham and heard the story about this guy who came down here one time. I mean, Abraham's not, he's not a, he's not a nobody. I mean, he's a famous guy in the ancient world. You know, they all, he's big family. And remember, he saddled up a bunch of horses and went and defeated armies that had come and swept through the cities. And so, but what strikes me for us especially is Isaac is being unfaithful while he's being faithful. So I mean that don't even I know it don't make sense the way I said it, but think about that. He trusts well, he yes and no. He he trusts God in the big thing. Okay, it's a famine. I'm gonna settle right here where you told me to settle. I'm not gonna go down to Egypt. I'm gonna stay right here in this place. But while he's obeying he fails to trust God in the little bitty thing. Like, I, I believe you're going to provide for me in the famine. I believe you're going to protect me in this hostile territory. But I don't believe that you're big enough to protect me from all these lusting guys that want to take my wife. So it's like he believes God and obeys God and trusts God in this big, huge thing that's just impossible. How are you going to survive a famine? But yet he has trouble trusting God in this little bitty, you know, I can believe for the big thing, but the little thing I got to do myself. You know, it doesn't, it's not going to work out. It's like the apple don't fall from the tree saying because his dad did the same thing. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what it is. His right. dad did the exactly. It's I mean, like, kind of like, you know, the story in the Bible of the sin of the father. Mm-hmm. And the son's just picking up the scraps from his dad. I'm sure he. I'm sure he's doing exactly what he he knew Abraham did. Um, but wh- where do we, where do we sometimes believe for the big things, but have a hard time believing in the little things? Mm, that's true. Like, uh, I'll just give you an example, and you give me some examples. Like, you got the guy who believes that Jesus raised from the dead. And that he has saved his soul and that he will live eternally in heaven. But he can't provide for my need right here. I've got to do something sinful in order to get this done. Well, you don't you don't know how you don't know how it is, you know, whether it be a financial need or a a family need, relationship need. I mean, whatever it is, God has the authority to save my soul, give me eternal life, remake heaven and earth cause a flood to wipe out the earth create by speaking but he somehow doesn't have the power to meet my little need that I've been praying for I mean don't we do that all the time we presuppose the big thing is true I mean I can't tell you how many people that I talk to that just can't get over the fact I cannot believe that you know we talked about Noah here I, uh, I cannot believe that Noah got all the animals on the boat and that 
the boat floated and all that. And I'm like, well, you believe that Jesus saved your soul or Jesus rose from the dead? Well, yeah. So you believe a guy rose from the dead, but you can't believe that God flooded the earth. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense to me that you can believe this big, huge, great. Nobody rises from the dead. I mean, that's impossible. That's the miracle of Scripture. It's the reason why we can trust in Jesus and know that his salvation is true, is that he rose from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. But yet we have a hard time trusting our day-to-day life, that he is going to take care of our needs, that he is going to lead and guide us, that he is in control and that he's working all things for good, don't we? It's the same thing, Isaac. I think uh, that's what I see anyway. It's the same thing. Isaac believed the big thing. I mean, if he was going to disbelieve something, I would have kept on going to Egypt. I mean, you know his food down there. There's a famine here. But he yet he obeyed when God spoke and said, you stay where I told, tell you to stay. He did. But while he was there, even though he was obeying that God, he was disobeying because he did the same stupid lie that his father Abraham did and told them that this is my sister. It's supposed to show and, and prove just how um, massive that we just, we don't just sense who we are. You know, it's... It's ingrained in, in your nature. You know, it, it's, he, he fell back on exactly what he is. You know, Satan and the demons themselves know who God is. It's, they know, they, they recognize who he is, but they still go doing what they do because yeah. of who they are. Yeah. I think at the same time, you know, it's like how we put certain numbers on sin, but yet sin is all the same. I think we do faith we degrees, the same way. Yeah. You know, we, we put certain emphasis on faith in certain ways instead of looking at it all at the same. Right. Yeah, yeah. We have a hard time. This is the way I wrote it was I was studying. was We have a hard time trusting while we're trusting. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time trusting God even though we're trusting God. Yeah. When we try to witness to my nephew and, and to some of my family members and stuff, um, I would get... I believe God made everything. I believe this. I believe that. But if there's a God out there, how could He kill all those people? You know. God did oh, that's so easy. I'm yes. like, that's you that know, one is, um, God allowed it to happen, but He did. He was not the forerunner yeah, of it. Right. <laughs> well, God owns. God can take life whenever He gets ready. Exactly. He owns. Right. It. Uh, he killed know, Ananias and Sapphira just like that, but just because they the see that you're breathing, He could take it. Like he owns. He owns you. He can do what he wants with you. But more back to the back to the issue of Isaac was he had been given this promise. The promise had transferred to him, and yet there was still something in him that couldn't bring himself to trust in something tiny like this. We're going to see how tiny it is, really, because once again, just like Daddy Abraham, Isaac is going to get schooled by a pagan. On morality and the sanctity of marriage. It says, and it came to pass in verse 8, when he had been there a long time, when Isaac had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, that word sporting is a play on Isaac's name. 
which is really weird. It was really weird for me to discover that this week. And I'm not the first one to ever discovered it. But so what does that word technically mean? Isaac. Okay. Yeah. It, it liter- if you're going to translate it literally, it says Isaac was Isaacing his wife. And, and remember, what does Isaac's name mean? Laughter. And so it's translated a lot of different ways, like sporting is a good translation, and playing with, toying with, you know. We don't know what he saw him doing, but we know that he, what he saw, he knew brothers and sisters don't do. You know what I mean? So there's no, it's no telling what, you know, he saw him, he saw him playing with his wife, you know, toying with, fooling around with, sporting with. Isaac was Isaacing. His wife. That's what it. That's what it literally says. And Abimelech, when he saw it, he said. And Abimelech said, "What is? Oh no, verse nine. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, "Behold, of a surety, she is your wife." So whatever he saw him doing, he understood. You know, you could talk about whatever, but the pagans in the ancient world knew what husbands and wives were supposed to do and what brothers and sisters were supposed to do. He said, of a surety, she is your wife. And how sayest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Isaac confesses, because I said, lest I die for her. He said, I didn't want y'all to kill me. I didn't want y'all to kill me. And Abimelech, this pagan king, schools God's man on the sanctity of marriage and morality. Same thing done to Abraham. Pharaoh did the same thing to Abraham. It says, And Abimelech said, What is this that thou hast done to us? One of thy people, one of the people might lightly have lain, which means laid with, laid with thy wife, and thou should have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech, even this pagan king, knew that marriage is sacred. He knew that if this man takes another man's wife, he knew that that brought guilt. And so this pagan king, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know the best way to put it, but it's almost like God had God has placed his law within the heart of man. Mankind sins and he rebels and he can do all the, you know, the ugly debauchery, sinfulness that he wants to do, but it is written God's law is written on his heart. And so for Isaac to come in and he was afraid that these were, you know, and they were godless men, they were Philistines that he was afraid that they were there in their godlessness and their uh, paganism and their, you know, they were just going to, you know, they were just going to follow the dictates of their heart and do whatever they wanted to do. So he was so scared that he, he lied when the reality is that God had already made provision yeah. in Abimelech's heart. God had already made provision for Isaac to be safe for, you know, if if one of them took Rebecca and laid with her and took him for their wife, what would happen to God's promise? It would be you think God's going to allow some no name barbarian guy to nullify his promise. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, no way. So Isaac was trusting for the big thing. God's going to supply my needs through the famine. But for the little thing, he couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to have faith. He couldn't bring himself to trust in God. And what he finds is that this Abimelech character had already, I mean, he had, he was already, it almost seems like when we're looking at the text, it almost seems like he's a better man than Isaac is. I mean, this 
this pagan guy was morally superior to God's man, God's chosen, whatever. This pagan guy was right, was, I don't want to say holy, but he was, he was more moral for sure. And how do you think Isaac felt after this whole exchange? Probably the same way Abraham felt after his exchange with Pharaoh. I mean, wouldn't you be shamed? I mean, you're, you're God's man here, aren't you? I mean, it's through, I mean, three verses earlier, God has said, I'm going to bring the blessing to the world through you. I'm going to multiply your descendants and you're going to have these lands. You're my man. You're, you're the one whom all this is going to come. And then all of a sudden you got this, this godless heathen schooling you. I don't know why you don't think it's funny. I'm, I'm tickled to death by this story. So maybe I'm just not presenting it well, but. So, you, I mean, the ancient view of marriage, even this guy knew you don't mess with somebody's wife and it brings guilt when you do. And Isaac just thought there's no way they're going to be able to control themselves when God had already placed provision for Isaac there. And it says, you should have seen that too, though, because it said in verse eight that they had been there a long so God had already made provisions even before Abimelech stepped in. Yeah. And no one ever touched Rebecca or tried even in that amount of time. That's a good point. It's different from the Abraham story that they did. Pharaoh did take uh, Sarah. I mean, he came and got her. And God protected her, of course. But here, nobody did anything. Abimelech scolded him because somebody might have done something. But nobody did anything. And Abimelech, this is amazing too in verse 11. Abimelech charged all his people saying, He that touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So now he's sure enough protected. <clears throat> Not only his marriage is protected, but he's protected. For, you know, God worked all this out where now... Everybody in the Philistine land knows that you better not mess with Isaac. You mess with Isaac, you mess with Rebecca, off with your head. You know, they'll be surely be put to death. Isaac's now protected by, by decree. He's untouchable. And uh, what, you, what you see here is that God, God protected his promise despite Isaac's sin. God's presence, he, he promised to be with him. He says, I will be with you. We saw that earlier in the first few verses. What I also said, and Jason, is God uses people that, uh, that are not even of faith. Oh, yeah, God. Feel his desire, his will for your protection. Absolutely. Ephesians 1, he works all things right. toward the counsel of his will. I mean, absolutely. And he is powerful enough. He's big enough. He's big enough God to protect his word, to fulfill his word, to protect his promise and make sure that what he says to you, what he says to Isaac will come to pass. And the, the main thing I want you to see here is Isaac's opposition, the, the opposition to the promise was Isaac's own sin. So it's like God protected Isaac from himself. God protected his promise even, and we saw this, we've seen this before in Abraham, God protected his promise even though Isaac's own sinful heart almost screwed it up, almost messed up the promise. If, if Isaac's lie would have led to somebody taking Rebekah, the promise is gone, but God steps in again, protects the promise even 
from Isaac's sin. But he also protects the promise from the people that oppose Isaac. And you're going to see that in the in the next section. Um, you know, it's really incredible how you know we read these stories and we think that they're so long ago and their culture and their lifestyles were so different. When you get to the heart of it, they're not. They're not different at all. You know. People now, even that come to church and, and are seeking God, they have this mentality of I have to get fixed before I can come to the to God. Mm-hmm. And when it's absolutely the opposite, you know, we're, you know, Isaac's once again, he's trying to take things and matters into his own hands to fix something. Right. You know, and and we do that. You know, I can't take this before God until I get it just right. Yeah. When in fact, you know, you take it before God when it's at its brokenness, that's when you actually see that He's already went before you. Yeah. Yeah, He's the fixer. Yeah. For sure. Verse 12 said, after this little episode, says, And Isaac sowed in the land, in this land that's experiencing famine, and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Now that's that's amazing. That's amazing that he was blessed. It's the famine going on. The first year that he put hundredfold means he received a hundred times the crop yield that his that of the seed that he planted. So he received a hundredfold from the crop that he planted in the first year during a famine. So it was amazing the uh, the blessing that God bestowed upon him, and it also says, "And the man waxed great and went forward, meaning grew more and more, and grew until he became very great. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds, a great store of servants. And it says, and the Philistines envied him. God blessed him with prosperity. And the one thing that you'll always see is that those whom God blesses brings envy to their enemies. I mean, always. You'll see that uh, whether we're talking not just about money or, or anything else, but just the blessing of God, the presence of God will bring uh, bring the envy of of the world, to bring the hatred of the world, and they will they'll uh, they'll lash out against him. I mean, think about it. All these guys are experiencing famine, and in the midst of all this famine, you got Isaac who's reaping a hundredfold from his crop, and he's got donkeys and herds and servants and growing and growing, and just everything's going fine for him. I mean, duh. Of course, they're gonna be they're gonna be upset. In verse 15 and 16, i got to kind of hurry, hurry here if we're going to get done. Uh, this is a narr- narrator's note for us. It says, For all the wells which his father's servants had digged, Abraham's servants, in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. He's letting us know that all those wells that Abraham had were filled up. Uh, they filled up after the death of Abraham. Uh, they filled them up with earth. And so Isaac is not, he's being forced out of the country now because, you know, he's doing so great. Everybody else is in famine. And Abimelech goes to him and says, look, man, you're, you're too powerful for, for us. You got to get, got to get out. You got to get out. Isaac is not going to be able to depend on the wells of his father because they're all filled up. I mean, they're all filled up with dirt now. So at the very least, he's going to have to redig them. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to redig these wells. So he, 
it's going to show that he is he is going to be forced out one step at a time. He's going to be pushed away and then he's going to prosper where they're at, where he's at. And then they're going to push him away again and he's going to prosper again where he's at. And then they're going to push him away again and he's going to, I mean, he's moving out into the desert and he's going to prosper everywhere that he goes until finally he ends up at the very same place that Abraham built an altar and, and worshiped the Lord. Um, and so what it's saying here is the, the he's forced to leave and he can't rely on the wells that his father had had dug so he's got to redig them uh, and so he starts redigging them and and naming them the same names that Abraham had given him and what that does is it, it shows his authority over really because the son is supposed to inherit the possessions of the father and these wells were dug by Abraham they belong to Isaac so it says and Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of his Abraham days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. He called them the same names, showing that he did have, he did have um, possession of them because his father is the one who dug them. Now, these, this is very important because water is the source of life. You can't have donkeys and servants and all that if you don't have water. And you're out and you know, you're in the Middle East. You, water is, you got to have it. It's got to, got to have it. And it says, and Isaac's servants digged in the valley. This is the valley of Gerar. They moved out from the city of Gerar, out into the valley. And there's servants dug there, and they found a well of springing water. Technically, literally, it says living water. It's talking about running water. They found the under, a well to an underground spring, which is unheard of in a time of famine especially. And so what happens when they find, this is like finding a gold mine right here in the middle of the desert. So what happens? The people from the Philistines say, hey, that's our will. Uh, we're going to keep that. And so in, in verse 20 it says, and the herdsmen of Gerar did strive with the Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek. Essek means contention or contend with. Because they strove with him. So they claim the well that he dug. And what does he do? He moves. He packs all his junk up and moves further out. And it says, and they digged another well and strove for that also. He dug another well, went out further, dug another well, put his roots down. And here come the Philistines again. Hey, that's our well too. You keep digging these wells, it's our water. And he called the name of it Sitna, which means hatred or enmity. Um, and it says, verse 22, And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. He finally got far enough out where they didn't come and try to claim his water. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rohoboth, which means room. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. All right, we're going to stop right there for today just because we're running out of time. This, this, All this chapter is one story. But I want you to make sure that you see that everywhere he went in this desert, in this famine, he kept finding water, which is amazing. And then when he finally came to the place where the opposition didn't come against him, he could keep the water that was in his well, that Rohoboth, that well that he, he named. What did he do? 
He focused on God's provision. He said, God. He didn't say, well, them stupid Philistines chased me out of the town. Then they chased me off my first well. Then they chased me off my second well. And now finally I got... He didn't focus on the opposition. He said, God has given us. God has made room for us. God has put us where he wants us to put us. Well, of course, in our nature, I'm just using you for example, but I just immediately... Sometimes. I don't like the way that question starts. Well, <laughs> knowing you, Jason, if that guy, if you'd have been there digging a well all day and all of a sudden guy that took over, I know you're gonna put up a fight. <laughs> so why don't why don't why do you think he let them have it so easily? I I can't tell you. Um, he he was um, well. First of all, he was sojourning in their land, really. Um, and so why he didn't go to war with them? Said, dwell in this land and I will take care of you. So yeah. It's like maybe this ain't the right land that God wants me at. Well, I think that he was trusting that he was trusting that I, I God has made me a promise. And we saw that at the beginning. The promise of Abraham, seed, land, all those things. So it doesn't matter how far they push me out into the desert. Doesn't matter how many times they take my well, God is going to provide. He has to because, you know, if I die of starvation or if my wife dies of thirst, promise can't be fulfilled, you know. So it's not like I'm the man, God is protecting me and you can't do anything to me. It's that God made me a promise and God's going to be faithful to his word. So I don't really have to fight to keep you know, I, I don't have to fight to keep well, what I have. He had a protection added onto him because a guy told him, he said, nobody yeah. will kill you. Yeah, but they kept taking his water. Exactly. Yeah, they kept I'm taking saying, his water. You know, where's the drawing the line? You know, us, we want to put up for you. Like building a house and somebody says, that's my house. Well, and also, I think Isaac was afraid of the Philistines. Because in the next, the very next section, uh, we're not going to get to it today, but the next section when he gets to Beersheba, uh, God is going to appear to him again. And the first thing he tells Isaac is, don't be afraid. And then after the appearance of God and God tells him, Abimelech, I'm giving, giving away the rest of the chapter, Abimelech is going to come to Isaac again and Isaac is going to kind of smart off to him. Like, why are you coming to me? Don't y'all hate me? You wanted me to leave? Blah, blah, blah. You know? It's almost like Isaac's demeanor changes after God tells him not to be afraid. Because of he done, uh, Abimelech done told him, or the Philistine done told him, I'm going to protect you and your wife. But now, like you said, he's afraid of the Philistine. So that go back to his lack of faith again? Well, I, I don't know if I would characterize it that way. I think he was um, not going to get into war with them because he knew that he was going to prosper no matter where he was. Uh, if Isaac turned tail and started attacking them, um, what would God have to have done to right. keep his promise? Right. I mean, so the, the point of the whole section, I think, is that Isaac is, he's a recipient of God's promise. We know that. And he is, he's faithful, except when he's not faithful. <laughs> Does that make sense? He's Yeah, he's trusting, except when he's not trusting. And so this this promise of God that has been given to Isaac is it's going to come to pass despite the own, the sin that's in Isaac's own heart. 
when he's unfaithful. We saw it with his wife, the whole deal with his wife. And it's going to come to pass despite the opposition that comes against him from the outside. He, even though he was told, you know, even though they told nobody touch him, nobody kill him. Still, he had to contend with them stopping up his wells and, and chasing him off of his wells. And so basically, really, it's the same thing you, we saw in Abraham's life. God is going to keep his promise despite the sin that resides in your heart, despite the flesh that you have to battle with on a daily basis, despite the opposition from the world or Satan or whoever that comes against you, God is going to keep his promise. It may not be in the most pleasurable way that you would always want it to be, but he is going to keep he's going to keep his word. He's going to keep his promise. And so really this is the same lesson that we learned back in Genesis chapter 13 and 14, when Abraham, I mean, it's the same thing. What you're seeing here is a transfer of that promise from Abraham to Isaac. We learned the same thing. We learned the same thing in Abraham's life. Remember, Abraham sinned. God protected the promise. People, armies came against Abraham, tried to take it. God protected his promise. Whole families came against Abraham. God protected his promise. And now you see the same thing in Isaac. Isaac's stupid, sinful heart refuses to trust God, but God protects his promise to him. The people from the outside try to stop up his wells and starve his people, trying to uh, uh, take their water from them, but God protects his promise. You're going to see it over and over and over and over again, all the way through the lines of the kings, through Israel, through David, all the way down to that promise reaches fulfillment in Christ, now who resides by the Holy Spirit in his church, and that those same promises that are given to you through Christ doesn't matter what opposition comes against it, God is going to keep his word. Y'all with me? Any questions? All right. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've given us. God, I, I just ask that you would...